Rock and roll. Kia ora, everybody. What's up? It is Rebecca. Welcome to Rebecca Live. Uh, Friday for New Zealand. Still seven. I'm in month seven of lockdown here in America. It's going really great. Polit- politics is live and well, and and lockdowns and protests and who knows what. Uh, very lucky on the show today. We have uh, Maori Party co-leader John Tamahiri and obviously uh, other regulars, Cassie Roma, marketing whiz and weapon, and also Holly Bennett. So I know our first guest is very very busy man i'm extremely fortunate that he's made some time out of the back to back to back to back to back to back to backs that he's been doing for months ladies and gentlemen john tamahiri how are you brother yeah yeah beauty man kia ora good to see you um maybe i'll I'll start here how do you structure your calendar and you manage your energy load when you go into an election season because in say in the nba i'm a a sports guy you know Kawhi leonard's famous for you know load management and all the rest of it how do you stack up your emotions and your energy for the long game of weeks of back-to-backs of no sleep and nothing? How do you manage your energy? Oh, look, I've been, um, I'm a trained barrister and solicitor or lawyer, right? And um, what you do is you manage caseloads and uh, you've got time commitments to hit in regard to either prosecuting or defending. And so um, I I was, I suspect, because I I didn't think this thing through until you just asked me, uh, I, I suspect my time, my time management, and etc., um, has, has to, had to be pretty good um, because you've got uh, obligations to people who are hanging out to ensure that you give them the best possible shot you can, right? Mm. So, so as a consequence, um, you've got this. You'll have multiple caseloads on the run, and then some are coming to peak time, and some some aren't. And so, certain certain um, issues uh, uh, require instant um, hits. And others you can sort of uh, manage uh, because they're not as burning or as requiring. You know? When you, you've obviously been in the game for a minute, how have you? How do you manage your professional and personal life in terms of being a dad, being a husband, being a friend, being because the workloads of certain industries of whether a pro athlete, you know, they'll they'll bail off for a couple of weeks or whatever for relationship management for the amount of stren- strenuous sort of stuff and workload professionally, yeah. how have you sort of navigated friendships and relationships and also trying to be a good human at the same time as being a good man for other people as well? Yeah, look, um, whānau family is a big thing for us, as you know, <clears throat> and I've been lucky enough to have uh, very strong family support. But here's the other beauty about um, how lucky I am and how privileged I am is that I've got a wonderful community around Huni Waititi Marae and out here in West Auckland, right? And so um, it's, uh, they are my extended whānau. So when my kids were growing up, um, even though I'm from Ngāti Pro and we, we um, that's the greatest tribe in New Zealand, of course. <laughs> and I would agree. <laughs> Waipiro Bay hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ngāti hard. So, so uh, even though I, I was here, um, we, we grew and evolved a new dynamic in Māori terms. And um, my uncles and aunties were from the north, Napo, and that. And so we just extended our bubble uh, in regard to our um, tikanga and our, our customs. And so I'm, I'm lucky enough to be embraced by that. And so when my babies were at Kuangareo or wherever, um, there were aunties and uncles that gave them the affection and the love that I couldn't at that moment in time because mm. I was needed for our community uh, on another front line somewhere, right? And that's the beauty about. That's the beauty about uh, having strong whānau and strong communities. Um, it, 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 it frees up people um, because the love and the affection that they have for you is showered then on your children. And um, 
that's point one. Point two is I, I, I did make mistakes with my first two kids. I got six. But my first two, um, I wasn't there enough because we come from a very poor background and we had to really flog yourself um, hours at work. Um, not as productive as you could have been because you're still learning. Um, and, you know, didn't spend enough time in, in their formative years. Um, you try and make up for it later, but you never can. And that's, that's yeah. a deep regret. It's a deep regret. Yeah, so I've got a friend in banking who's done really well for himself and he's played the game for, you know, 30 years. And I asked him, I've got a three-year-old and an 18-month-old now and and I had a trip and I was going to be away from them for two and a half weeks. Uh, and then he goes, oh, dude, they don't even remember anything till you're five anyway. It's totally fine. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. But I was I then know wondering, you know, when you're, when you're on yeah. that come up, the sacrifices you actually have to make. So you actually do have regrets from your first career of, of losing that time. But I guess, would you, then you ballot, you, you probably challenge yourself. Would you have got here if you didn't do those hours to do those things for your community and the, the career path to get you there, right? It's probably a, a tough balancing act that everyone sort of needs to go through, especially yeah. if they get to a high profile, right? It's a tricky one. Yeah, well, life's always trade-offs and, and there's compromises required, okay? So long as you don't compromise your principles. Um, yeah. Because it's always good to stand straight um, rather than look like a banana. So I think, um the question that you've you've raised it's all about priorities and no no human being is perfect in that regard in human relations mm. and we always make mistakes but the key the key to our um humanity is how we redeem how we redeem ourselves you know after we've made a mistake and that's the beauty about um if, if you brought up in our sort of um philosophy here um you you will always uh fall fall have falls but it's how you fix those falls up and how you uh, heal others that you might have aggrieved, right? If you just keep going through life uh, quite selfishly, um, you, you end up a very lonely person. I was going to say, when you when you make a big stuff up and you've got public profile, what's the weight of that like to try and make the comeback where everywhere you go, everyone knows your face and everyone knows your name and everyone knows what you've done. And, you know, the upside of, I guess, pu public life for so many is I get, a, you know, a lot of upside in so many respects. How do you work your way back after a loss? Cause I'm imagining it's not easy, especially when you've got, you know, the profile and the bravado and the confidence is, you know, one may have and probably many in this, in the political sphere. How do you work your way back? I don't have losses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have uh, every, every yeah, no, not just learnings. No, no, um, every every campaign I've fought in, um, a whole bunch of our ideas have been implemented within the next cycle, right? And it's solely yeah. because we came armed with the contest of ideas, and and we were quite vigorous in the advocacy on behalf of our people and their emancipation from being locked into the bottom end uh, of our ancestors' own country. Much the same as our indigenous people um, in the United States and Canada, um, Hawaii, and our brothers Aboriginals in Australia. So you know we're on a we're on a, a relentless journey of uh, redeeming our position as the First Nations people of this nation, and uh, that that doesn't happen um, in my mm. lifetime. But you know what, um, my mokopunas, you know, my grandchildren will um, just about get there, and so I'm quite proud. Uh, of what my father did with what he didn't have and what my grandfather did with what he didn't have. So each one of them have set a new platform for me uh, to just drive ahead that um, 
you know, we we if, if the prison system fails us, we'll we'll design our own mm. and we'll proceed and we'll be just successful Māori rather than judged by Pākehās as to not be a good Pākehā Māori. Mm. Yeah, it's the the intersection between culture and community. It's starting to, I guess, shift in every generation from the real world of what your grandfather was to 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 you, your your father to yourself it's like sort of platforms right so maybe yeah. maybe on that a quick segue come into where maori party so it started in 2004 yeah. is that right 2004 right. um when you when you think of maori and culture it's very generational it's very either um respect to the legacy of exactly where we've come from from hundreds of years ago or out into the future for such a young party what do you think the story and the narrative has been for the Māori Party to date? Like if you were writing the book of, of what it was in a macro generational view, how would you start the story? Oh, we, we made some, but Māori Party made some mistakes. Uh, one, it allowed um, its, its connectivity to its people to fall into disarray. And with that, the organisation of the party. So we've rebirthed it as a intergenerational political movement. And our policy suite this year is a, a 25-year generational plan um, and we will relentlessly when, when Marty put a po in the ground um, once you put that po in the ground you cannot retreat from it you can be driven back from it but then you must relentlessly proceed to advance on it and so that's we put po in the ground across uh, the whole of everything from education health welfare justice housing and um, we will get there you know um, it's, it's just a matter of when not if we we have built mm. and will be an enduring political movement for one reason, that New Zealand's got MMP. Um, and uh, prior to MMP was just two tribes that went to war, like the Democrats and the Republicans, right? Labour yep. and National. Yeah. Now now we've got a uh, liberated Māori voice that isn't contained um, and voted down uh, by uh, power blocks of Pākehā and caucuses behind closed doors. So we can speak our liberated truth. Now, it might grate people, that might grate with some people, but um, never should our truth not not be spoken. What I think is interesting about that, you, you said, you know, after you put the pole in the ground, you, you don't stead from that. So a bro of mine, T.P. Katane, he talked about, you know, your kind of, your morals and ethics could, I didn't get the wording right, but he basically said, you know, with your morals and ethics should be written in pen, but your strategies should be written in pencil, of kind of what you're about stays true, but these other things sort of pivot. That's right. So when you look into the um, into the political landscape of you know you talk about inter, intergenerational um, uh, intergenerational stuff now we, Rob Campbell I was talking about uh, politics and he gave the the example of it's it's quite similar to a playground in New Zealand where instead of a slide where it's one way and definitive either going up or down it's kind of like a seesaw where four years this way three years that way if I so back and forth and there was a disconnect between the basically we're saying the, the momentum of the structure that exists and versus the longevity of, I guess, humanity and gen generations mm. or whatever. How do you feel the political system is built to, is it better built for generations now, or do you think it could be changed to be, to be better? I, I mean, I get that CESA analogy. Do you see it the same way or do you feel that there's a better way that our political system could be done? Oh, of course. Uh, look, life uh, and humanity is about um, evolving a better way for us uh, <clears throat> from, from the known mistakes that we've just made. Uh, what we have, though, is then you have a time bubble 
where those that have secured significant interest out of the present failing status quo fight like hell to maintain it as the change agents come, you know, and change agents are firstly labeled erratic mavericks. <laughs> um, you know, um, not a, a nervous breakdown that you've had there, um, Robert. And you know, like, um, so you're, you're marginalized by uh, reputational damage first, but then pretty soon, uh, the righteousness and the justice of uh, what you're saying starts to weigh, and then um, the weight builds against the failing status quo. Now, in different countries, that takes time uh, and different timelines um, to, to ensure that the failing status quo crumbles. For instance, our transition to a green economy, people talk about a green economy, but unless we uh, put sticks and carrots in place, the present status quo, mining out uh, fossil fuels, et cetera, et cetera, they're not, they're not gonna move, okay? mm. But they hold significant pound lobbying uh, amongst politicians. And, and pretty soon you'll start to see them fall for the right reason that they must now start to invest in innovative and new initiatives for their own, for their own peoples rather than just milk their own people. Yeah, the, the, the exploitation of – I think time – there's a saying, you know, time goes undefeated. All of those Go things on. where, it, you know, time goes undefeated. So – if it's bad, eventually it will be. It will be seen. I guess it's just the, the, the you're in the process and you're in the system of trying to you know expedite those things which potentially don't feel as good. I was going to ask about um, uh, culture, right? So, say ten years ago, you know, I failed high school, I couldn't get into university. Um, I was, I guess, entrepreneur at heart. I'd done stuff. It wasn't cool twenty years ago to try and create anything now it's very cool to be you know right. let's rock a hoodie let's go to silicon valley da, 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 da. i feel that culture in new zealand tipped over in the last couple of years of that's now the new entrepreneurship it's now the new cool it's now the new embracement and it's awesome like with the you know um maori language week with Tereo getting integrated into to brands and business and you know stuff that even like in new zealand does all the rest of it that's great when I look at it, I start to get a, a few little bits of concern, which is about a certain individuals trying to exploit culture or empower culture because it's topical for the moment. But they've been there, you've been there the whole time doing it. What are your thoughts on like cultural empowerment versus exploitation when it comes to business, corporate, and community? Because it's a really funky intersection where you want to support some, but clearly some are trying to take the piss or, or exploit away. How do you feel about that? Oh, look, we're we're. Um we're in a very difficult moment in time to assess that. Uh, and the reason is this, that brand New Zealand <clears throat> on the world stage, um, Māori related matters are being seized upon from our tohus um, uh, all, all the way through to our graphics uh, and our wording, and our wording. Mm. And so um, there is a new cultural uh, colonization and appropriation taking place. Because uh, we're we're uh, we we're brought in as the nice natives, do do a mihi a karakia, and then a porphyry, and then we're kicked out the back, right? Uh, so um, until we are part of the solution, see, Māori's in New Zealand are seen as a problem waiting to be punished, rather than a solution waiting to happen. <laughs> well, it's liability versus asset, and you can see it flipping yeah. by the way certain people are starting to utilise culture when it is suitable for them, right? And that's a, a, a such a key part that I think. I've talked about for like, for example, I, I was talking about where's the moment that New Zealand feels the most p 
potentially together as one. And, and it, it's been a question that I've, I've asked for a few years, and it was essentially a point of when was culture and community together on the same page that was Treaty of Waitangi? Cool. Now, when has culture, community, and commerce been affected in the same page for the same thing, that there is unity of purpose for a nation? And there hasn't really been one until COVID. But what was interesting about the appropriation of culture for me was the same people on a Saturday that at 7.35 when the All Blacks play Australia for the Bledisloe are like, eh, he, oh, uh, feeling yeah. super proud, leading with the haka. We lead with culture at the tip of the V on Sunday. And then they're the first person on the Monday at flipping 11 o'clock to go, oh, flipping bloody Marys, blah, 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 da, 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 da. It's like, no, no, no. You don't have the right to take culture when it's when it's convenient for you to then use that. And I, I did I talked about this for a couple of years and it feels like it's starting to tip. So I didn't mean to drop, but I wanted to just put the craft on that because I feel that more and more people are aware that that's becoming a thing. And the and the the thing of culture that was deemed as a liability is very, very clearly turned into a massive asset commercially for those in in business as well. So I just wanted to to plug that. But yeah, continue. Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, um, you've got to be very careful about tokenism um, mm. and, and us being at the front end and then um, off the stage, stage left, out, back, exit. And when the deals are done, we're, we're not part of the economic journey. We're not part of the intellectual stimulation. and Because if you're excluded, from, after, after they've um, made out that we are the most um, integrated, uh, loving, caring society for Indigenous people, just anything but the truth on the evidence, Taika Waititi said that, um, is, is just wrong. So we, and, and so when you contest that, Robert, what happens is, is that I'm seen as the mongrel, or I'm seen <laughs> as, as the bad guy, right? Because when, when you call out wrong from power elites, uh, they, get, but they can, can get very nasty, very naughty. Yeah, but we've got to keep speaking our truth. I, I raised that point with you earlier. Now, we must speak our truth, even though it might grate mm. others. Yeah, but if it's the truth, it must be spoken. Mm. Well, also, if, if you've got an intergenerational mentality, you're playing long game when others are playing transactions for the short, right? So it changes the yeah. approach into it. Um, so on that on that point, like, how do you deal with how do you deal with haters? How do you deal with systems of those that, if you're speaking too loud, like in general, there's obviously public hate, or you know backlash or blah and then there's obviously backdoor the backdoor sort of conversations how do you deal with both those worlds to navigate to the spot where you're at well look um there's a huge queue of haters out there for me (laughs) (laughs) so i don't i've never had a problem with that and uh look i I got brought up with uh, nine brothers and three sisters right and um it was you know uh, and i was ninth down the bottom so you know, you, you uh, just beat had downs, to, mate. Beat downs. Oh, no, well, oh, yeah, but it didn't matter how big they were and how fast and hard they were. Uh, they all got, they, they all could be knocked over, right? So it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it doesn't, for me, it, it doesn't matter how big and black they are or how white and rich they are uh, as haters. Um, what matters is, is that as long as you um, uh, have the justice and the righteousness on your side, the way you express it, though, I, I've had a problem in my way of expressing. See, some people like you can tell people to buy a ticket to go to hell and they'll buy it, right? I've never had that. Um, I couldn't. I, I'm not a salesman like that. And so because I just sort of speak it far more bluntly, you know, because uh, I just come out of work. I, I, you can't take the working class out of me. So, um, so, so I haven't been able to finesse the messaging where you know you can you you can bring people across with you so i've run a very adversarial i'm a very adversarial uh, advocate 
Okay, and so you need a lightning rod though on some parts of our movement, and that gives mm. space to those in the middle. So my job has always been to lead out and brothers and sisters to um, get the leverage, catch their leverage in the middle, and they drag you, they drag parkers across to our po. You see, so you need you need lightning strikes, and you need um, you know people out in the front that make mm. people feel uncomfortable, that speak the truth. So- there's something interesting in that. Strategically, did, were you aware that this energy would come, but you were happy to throw yourself under the bus, knowing that you could take all that weight, so it would open those those doors for others? Like, was that a conscious decision, strategically, knowing that that would come, so you could take the heat to, to that for potentially others that that maybe couldn't have? Yeah. Look, well, I would only you know my wife. We we made this decision about 25 years ago that instead of going downtown and making squillions for ourselves personally, because she was a director at KPMG, uh, I, I could have picked up a, a top job in one of the big four law firms downtown as the token native um, and done very well. And some of my colleagues did. But here's the problem with them. Uh, they cross the bridge and they never look back. And that's mm. something as a Māori you should never do. Right? You, you're only as good as your brothers and sisters' uh, difficulty. And so... So we have to advance that. So we, we made a decision about 25 years ago that um, money's great, but it ain't everything. And if we live comfortably mm. uh, in a, a loving, caring community and environment with our babies, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd be happy with that, right? So, so we made that decision. And then because of my fierce advocacy, um, you know, uh, you, you get um, one stereotype, you get pigeonhole, uh, all that sort of stuff. But mm. you know what? Um, I haven't been down for the count. Been left the ring a few times, but bruised, but but no one's put me down for the count. No, no, you don't lose, right? Remember, you don't lose. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Never. No. It's so on the um, how this has kicked off is we had uh, Holly Bennett on the show last week bringing up a point around um, uh, Maori role, and there was a question around uh, the compulsion for Maori to potentially go into the Maori role like separate. Um, why? Oh, well, um, we're the only Indigenous people in the world that uh, are locked out of the election cycle for two, two elections. And the reason for that is, is that um, it's only Māori that are forced uh, to take options, right? But those options aren't every election. Those options are every two elections. So, in, it. so, so about 80% of us under the law fall out of sync and then along comes an option. But if you've been locked out of the political and democratic system for six years and you're a young Māori voter, you no longer vote. That's why our voting's that's why our voting's low. That's point one. Point two, you've got to look behind the policy of that law. That law is about assimilation. It's about destroying uh, the Māori seats over time. Right? And so the Māori Party says if you're proud enough to say you're a Māori, you immediately get enrolled in the Māori role. Okay? Uh, you then have an option off. See, at the moment, it's an opt-in option rather than an opt-off. So that's similar law, to the driver's law. license around being a donor, right? Similar type of thing. Yeah. But the upside of that is that so then you've got a bigger database of, of, of power and community to have more either future influence or is it is it the idea of, um, like, like because when Holly brought it up to me, I said, well, is that kind of, everyone should have their, their choices, blah, blah, blah. But if some, a choice is forced on me, that then doesn't potentially feel like I, I like that. Do you feel it as a as a moment to for, force or like how do you because that would be the the token thing, right? 
Well, you're forced now. Um, you're forced now uh, to be outside the system for six years. So all, all I'm saying to you is uh, let's wake up to our entitlement to act in a democracy. That's point one. Point two, you immediately get enrolled on the Māori roll, right? And then if you want to opt off, you can. But it's not. But it's not done this way now. So, so I get what you. I get what you say now. If everyone went on the Māori roll and they saw the power of Māori at fifteen to seventeen seats, there you go. A constant, a constant brokering power for government, stuck in the middle of the constitution as the treaty promised. Then they'd wake up and they'd go, "Wow, I'm proud to be a Māori because my vote counts for my people every election, every election." And here's the other thing. I bow to no one else. I don't bow to Labour. I don't bow to the Greens, and I don't bow to National. And that Got is it. such an empowering. That is such an empowering process to go through, of uh, reclaiming uh, our mana in our own country. Hmm. So, it's a process for independence, but then having the collective of them under under one mix. Yeah, I can say. I mean, I'll be interested to ask Holly on the thing as well. She obviously understands that well better than I. Obviously, don't don't know politics as as much well, but. I'm I'm really interested to learn, especially for stuff like this. You know, you get older, you start thinking about your flipping kids and all these other things of the future, and you start thinking long game, and it sort of changes. I was going to ask you about when you went for mayor last year. Yeah, was it last year? What was the biggest thing you thought was broken in Auckland that wanted you to do that? Because it's a big jump. Like, what was there one thing you were like, "This is stuff." What was the tipping point that made you want to pull um, the trigger to try? uh, Well, look, I've worked with Goff before in the Labour Party, right? Um, yep. I, I was a minister in the cabinet with him. Um, a number of white folk in New Zealand are born to rule, privileged and entitled and think darkies can't think. Right? He's, he's one of them. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, mate. <laughs> he's one of them. <laughs> no, but he's oh, one of them. Oh, look, it's the truth, though. So um, we've got a major housing crisis here because uh, yes. on the supply side. But, but also it's uh, not taxed like it is elsewhere. And so um, those of you, th- those of you that are in the housing game and have a house, have pulled the ladder up. You know, in a major recession in this country, in, in the worst quarter in its history, house prices went up five percent. Five percent. It's like going to a casino where you can never lose. But if you're not on the housing, if you're not on the housing ladder, you're locked out. And our people, because of their income, are double locked out. So yes. what I said, what, what, so uh, we, we built houses, right? We just finished 120 houses over in Waterview as part of a development. What we said to Goff was um, land, uh, the council has land. But he says to me, no, no, um, that land need, will be 30% affordable, 30% for millionaires, and 30% for social housing, right? But I said to him, look, name one community in this country that is, that is made up with that nirvana, of social engineering. There ain't any. Have a look in the States. Yeah. No, it doesn't so, exist. Well, they'll put Section no, 8 in certain things that it changes the dynamic and then there's tension in the community revolts. Yeah. Well, well so, so he said to me, oh, see, I grew up in, in um, Papa Toy Toy and uh, we got surrounded by Otara and Mangere. And Otara and Mangere, I said to him, I said to him, they're poor people there. They're not bad people. Right, they're mm. low-income people. They're not bad people. Those communities aren't bad just because they're social housing. Not in New Zealand. There's other tenements elsewhere, which is terrible. Um, and so he started. To, he started to go down this track. Well, because I, I, I wanted, we're now in the Human Rights Tribunal. Uh, we'll win that case against Goff. 
But there was a tipping point, you know, the arrogance, the entitlement, Got it. the privilege of telling um, our people that uh, only a few of you can live here because if there's too many of you, it'll turn into a ghetto. We don't have them. New Zealand doesn't have ghettos, has poor Got communities. It. Yeah. So there was a tipping point. And then you're like, stuff it, I'll give it a crack. Yeah, well, you either sit on the couch moaning or you get off the couch and have a go. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, um, a, there's a group chat of mine with a, a bunch of, bunch of the corona and, and one is, is very extremely, uh, uh, I wouldn't say couch warrior, but text couch warrior. And it's funny, like, mate, if you, you're smart enough, if you've got flipping something to do, get in there and do it. Um, before you go, last final quick things, uh, quick, quick fire. Should weed be legalized, yes or no? Yeah. It should be decriminalized. Here's the thing. It's got right. to be two, it should be two steps, right? Decriminalization first, right? Because we don't have enough belts and braces around mental health and addiction uh, services in New Zealand, yep. full stop. And so as you head towards legalization, particularly in our communities, okay, because uh, I'm from West Auckland, we smoke like chimneys. So the thing is, um, you know, uh, I underst we understand the game. Right, and so uh, we want laws made by us for us. Uh, it's a bit like the euthanasia legislation, right? Yeah, yes or no on that? Well, no, because um, right now today, Māori contract cancer 10 years ahead of Pākehā, but not allowed to be screened. So hundreds and hundreds of our people will contract cancer. They'll end up in a very gory, difficult prognosis, and they will die as they do seven years earlier than Pākehās. Uh, um, if, if the euthanasia bill kicks in, it'll be the kill the Māori bill. It'll knock them off a lot earlier. So you've got to understand it from our side of the street. Uh, mm. If you're a well-informed uh, Pākehā, white person, uh, with a health insurance and all the whānau stuck around you that are informed and know, it's cool. But, uh, but you know what? One of my aunties just had a heart turn, and went into hospital, Tauranga, got placed in front of her without any whānau support, a, a consent form to not resuscitate. Now, the, now that's 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 happening now. Can you imagine what will happen to us uh, as a poor, ill-informed people suffering depression, stress, and suffering from a lot of other disabilities? Can you imagine what's going to happen to our people? I don't. It's you know, it's not. And here's the other thing: the democracy is so degraded that you go to a quick-fire raffle to tick a box to kill someone or tick a box not to. How how sad mm. indictment on our society is that? That's a really interesting take on on such a big issue. I hadn't thought of that. It's a, it's a, it's a great, bloody great answer. Actually, I'm, I'm going to ponder on that before we go. Uh, pick a oh, you colour. Better vote for me. You better vote for me. You better, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> plug, 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 plug your stuff now. Plug plug away. <laughs> What's your website? What's the website? Motorparty.co.nz, <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Pick a colour. I actually uh, this is uh, political. There you go. Pick a colour. Black. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize I'd already gone meta. Okay. Who is your favorite hit? Who is your favorite hero of fiction? Oh, hero, hero of fiction. Oh, no. King Arthur. King Arthur? Wait <laughs> yeah. a second. Is, is non fiction means not real or is non fiction real? Well, he's, he's not, he's, he was fictional with Merlin and all the rest of it, right? Oh, okay. So I don't know. So he just sounds like a real person. Okay. No, nah, yeah. I'm done. You're smart. That's cool. Um, appreciate it, bro. Hey, thanks so much for the time. I know you, it's it's tapped and busy. Is, is there any um, 
what message would you like to say to the average New Zealander that has heard of you, doesn't have context of what you're about, but is interested and cares about New Zealand that may or may not be Māori? What would you say to them? Oh, um, get on the same page. <laughs> because, yeah. because, you know, I'm, I'm in an uh, era of my life now where I've, um, we've committed ourselves to continue to organise and build and administer um, this enduring Māori movement. And um, it's just a matter of time uh, when we are successful, not if. Because it's, it's just going to be relentless, as I said to you before. So, um, so understand that the wealth of our nation was founded off our stolen assets. And until we have equality of opportunity that was promised in the treaty 180 years ago, uh, it'll never happen. Your uncle and my uncle, Robert, um, he wrote a pamphlet in 1943. It was called The Price of Citizenship. And he opined in the rising of the Māori Battalion that he would send his nephews to die in a white man's war so his Pākehā friends would awaken to the rights of his people to be treated as equally as them, as was promised in Article 3 of the treaty. 180 years later, his nephews still asking. Un mm. un unacceptable. So I'd like them to think about that. Well, when they go... When it's long game, it's it's definitely different with how they approach it. Um, I appreciate your time, bro. Thanks so much. Yeah, and best of luck with the, the election. Uh, awesome. Thanks for the time, bro. Cheers, bro. Shut brother. Jingle bells. We're getting, we're getting leaders of parties now. It's, man, episode 259, we're getting active. Uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, political weapon actually helped kick off last week trying to get John on the show. And, you know, I got that. I made that happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Holly Bennett, how are you? Kia ora. I'm good. How are you? Are uh, you good or you hung over? It looks like you're a Napier and you've been on the piss. Uh, no, what's you're up? not supposed to tell these people. I tell <laughs> oh, you sorry, sorry, sorry. Via text oh, sorry, sorry. In advance. So that oh, you know, you're not. <laughs> you did not look hungover um, and the audio is sounding great. So that's <laughs> awesome. How do you, what did you think of that? So he didn't answer the question. And as the host, you should have asked him, but why is it that they need to be forced on the Māori role? So the thing that Matua John talked about was that there's a six-year election cycle, six-year gap yes. in between. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that. So but, but, so, but he's articulated. I didn't have those details. I thought it was every three years. But basically, every six years, they open the Māori role. You can go on to the Māori role um, if you choose. And then, and then it closes again for another six years and you can't do it. So he's talking about an issue but provided a solution which doesn't meet the problem. What he should be doing, which is what we discussed last week, is change that. You should make it that Māori can move at any time. Then it's my choice that I can do it at any time. And that's what I said to you last week. Last week that is the better policy. Why wouldn't they do that? Don't force me because I've made the decision. I've gone from both roles and I've chosen to go back to general. Mm. Don't force me to go to Māori role because I've made that choice for myself. So, uh, it's based around the census. Yeah, it's a, it, there's a couple of ones in there which is super interesting. And even just the, uh, the, the euthanasia thing was a really different lens as well for So again, for I'm going to disagree with what he said. So it's like ticking a box. And this is respectful disagreement, right? Because yeah, I really, I really like John and he's fantastic. And also, John, if you're watching, dad says to say hello. Oh, <laughs> well, it's his, not his fault. It's your fault that I got it. It's, it's, it's great. But no, it's um, these, no, these but, things but matter, the, but go for it. With, with the euthanasia thing, again, it's not something that's been dreamt up 
and it's just that that, that it's to tick a box to, to box to decide to de- decide this. Sorry, this process for euthanasia started in 2017. It went before select committee. It got the most submissions at any issue before our New Zealand Parliament has got ever. I think it was something like 41,000 submissions. That's 41,000 New Zealanders who decided that they were going to put their whakaro to paper and put that into Parliament. And what the Parliament then had to do, so the select committee that was hearing it, it then said, okay, given it is such a serious issue, if we're going to try to do every single person that wants to be heard, you know, face to face by our committee, we will make that happen. So it had to get extended and extended and extended because so many people were either pro or against, but the point of a democracy is to hear what those views are. We are now at the tail end of this to see if the will of the people want it or not. But the whole process took over three years. We didn't just get here to have it as a box ticking exercise. I think that's disingenuous to paint it like that. And I can't wait for you to get into politics. It's, it's, it's great, great point. Who says that that's going to happen? Everyone keeps painting this picture, and I love doing what I do as a lobbyist. It's great. Oh, jeez. All I, my whole game plan is is I've just got screen grabs of everything bad people have said, and in twenty years I'm going to blackmail everyone I know. How many <laughs> things happen. of mine have you got? Um, I, what I think what was really cool. About about it is he's got an opinion uh, the, the bit that I thought was really interesting with with that is how the strategy of what he decided 25 years ago to be yeah. the lightning at the front knowing he's going to take all that flack to leave that space it's a really strategic move and I think it's uh, hearing someone articulate oh hey my career I decided to do this 25 years ago so I would do this I've known I'm going to do it you they have then reacted to that, but then it's left that sort of the wake for others. And I think that's actually a quite a, it's such an amazing ninja move of, of smart thinking and, and long game opportunity. So um, it's, I appreciate that you'd brought the stuff up last week. Um, it was cool that obviously we had to connect to be able to uh, get through them. And he made the time, Absolutely. you know, like that's super cool. Um, Absolutely. And so Absolutely. maybe from, from your side in this last week, what has mattered most to Miss Holly Bennett? This week? I think the big thing is the Colmar Brunton poll that came out yesterday. Um, it Ooh, basically showed the lay of the land for what Parliament might look like um, after the election, which is next week. So we've got. What's the vibe? What? So it was, um, this is going off the top of my head 47% Labour, uh, 32% wow. National, uh, 8% Act, 6% Greens. And then two percent New Zealand first, so they'd be out. Ooh, uh, X seems to be popping. A- yeah, X social game is, is. I'm telling you, there's a direct correlation between solid social trolling and the poll numbers. <laughs> um, and so, what do you think? So, what what do you think if that goes through? What will that what would that mean? Partnerships could potentially look like. So, Winston Peters yeah. is out. Labor partners mm-hmm. with someone else. How, how does this play out if if that was to happen? So on that polling number, if that came to fruition, you would get, your Labour would have to partner with Greens to get enough seats because, again, it goes down to this this number of 61. And I'm not sure if you've heard that number bantied around before, but basically it, it relates to 120 seats in Parliament 
are, you know, for proportional representation and you have to have 61 to get anything through the house. So that's why you're looking for that number of um, 61 or more. So Labour, I don't think they're there. They're not there yet, sorry, on that polling number at 47%. So they would still need Greens. Um, polls are crap. I was polled last night and it was rigged. Top was not an option for one of the questions. So on that, I put a post up last a couple of days or whatever saying, hey, right now, who would you trust the most financially to get through? Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why top wasn't on there, just so everyone knows, is I took the top four percentage numbers that were on because LinkedIn only allowed you to have four, not yeah. the other party. There's multi-party top and the rest of it. So that was the reason why. But the social mafia for top came out heavy heavy on the polls and we're just just going to town so um would they do you think they'll get in this this into this election the the top crew how do you think they're going they need to be polling at five percent or more and they're not so because that's how it works under mmp so the minor parties have to poll at five percent or more unless they get a seat and doesn't look like they're any of their candidates are leading in any of the seats so that's then become something that's unrealistic so then you have to say are they going to get five percent and that's the same thing that our New Zealand first have as well in that they don't have a seat and so they need to get five percent and they did get five percent last last election uh now they're polling it too so that looks like them out unless of course yeah. like Shane Jones gets Whangarei it's up north okay all right um interesting yeah, so I thought, from- I thought that that was a really, really interesting indicator because it was kind of, it was almost like a switch from, I think that was similar polling that, or actually not not for ACT, but for the main parties last at 2017, but it was flipped. So you had hmm. National at this time on 47% and Labour at that time around 32%. Um, so when everyone keeps asking me to cast what my, my viewers I always say like anything can happen because you know we we're now seeing a flip so I would say you know I would again say anything can happen um in terms of everything else there was a town hall debate so another leaders debate by uh between Jacinda and Judith um I only watched a small proportion of that it was a traditional style debate you know where you get the crowd involved and they get really really hearty and that was good um but both, uh, from what I saw, both leaders were using it, you know, really to um, show show their feistiness, come out fiercely, you know, leave nothing, n- mm. nothing behind. Um, and we are, we're now, what, seven, eight days from election day. So it's next week. And I've already voted. <laughs> so who'd you vote for? I'm not telling you. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. So just double checking. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got uh, Bevis just said think on that, Rebet. Uh, Bevis, what would you? Oh, there's a lot I probably need to think about, Bevis. Um, if you'd like to let me know what I need to think about, that would be great. Um, <laughs> really, really <laughs> lot, but Bevis, total, feel free to that, let me know Brevis. what I need to think about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah total, total, that. He needs to think on that. Think on that. <laughs> well, well done, Bevis. You, you, you got me. I need to think on it. Um, okay, very cool. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, Biggest but I did, in really enjoy, I did really enjoy listening to um, Mato John. I think some of the things that he says, hands down, 100%, I'm behind him and agree with him. Um, and I think he would have been great for Tamaki Makoto as mayor, and that's unfortunate. You reckon? Didn't work out. Yeah. yeah, because as he said, 
He pulls no punches. He says what he thinks. Mm. And I like that kind of politics. I think it's great because you know where people stand. And I know I've said that to yeah. you before. There's a few MPs like that in Parliament and I love it. Because it's like well, I don't have to agree with you, but I know what you think. And that's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it would be interesting um, how it's going to roll out. So it's not far away. The, the world is kind of all connected all at the hip between american politics new zealand politics everything it's you know yeah. what a, what a time to be alive 2020 the, the year of carnage and um what's bubbling for the for the next week in politics that you're most excited about leading up to the election any any last things that are happening which you're just hyped about um i think that there's a young lobbyist coming out with a call against her industry next week oh i heard about that what day are we expecting that tuesday Okay, very cool. Great, good timing on Tuesday. They get into the flow of things and hit them, hit them where it hurts on Tuesday. Makes sense. Yeah, and we can have a big conversation about that on Friday. <laughs> Happy to. Uh, I love love your work, Holly. Enjoy the rest of the weekend and your travels and be good. And I think that there's like this blue bottle of Powerade right over your right shoulder. I think it's just right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, love your work. Thanks, Holly. Kia ora. Thanks, bro. See ya. Bye. Holly Bennett, such a good human and solid banter. She's political weapon. She she um, had brought up uh, the 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 Maori seat stuff last week, so we managed to be able to get uh, her get John on this week, which was cool to talk about some stuff, crank it through, and then into the mix. All right, that is us. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, good friend Cassie Roma. How are you, Cassie? Good morning. Oh, I'm I good. Like I'm coordination. Good. Looking, I see what you did there. <laughs> Completely unintentional. I can tell you that for a Friday morning. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you, have you? You don't look like you're in your running gear. No run so no. far. No, no run today. It is school holiday, so it's it's mom day today. Hey, okay. Uh, how's the week been? What's the biggest thing that's been bubbling in your world, Miss Cassie? Week's Roman? been awesome. Week's been fantastic. Spent a lot of time with um, friends and family. And um, I think the last maybe 15 hours has been the most rollicking ride in politics. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, the biggest player of the 2020 elections, I think, worldwide has just uh, come into being. Uh, the fly on Mike Pence's head. Um, I was for amazed. Those like, for those who aren't aware, last night's presidential debate between Kamala Harris and uh, Pence. Old mate got a fly on his head uh, with his nice white shiny locks. There's a, a black fly, which has then taken over. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's gone viral. Fly's gone the, viral. Viral the fly. fly. Itself, the fly itself has been called an American treasure <laughs> by pundits. And like everything, um, last night's debate was interesting because while it was still a lot of kind of fisticuffs, it was a a bit more, I guess you could say, respectful than the presidential ones. So the vice presidential debate, Kamala handled herself very, very well. But that fly, that is going to be a moment like the Oreo um, dunk in the dark moment. I think people will be talking about that for yonks, for yonks and yonks. The amount of content, if you just search fly and pence, the amount of content that people are creating right now is, is beautifully hilarious. The internet goes undefeated. It does. I love humans. I mean, humans really step up and deliver well, in times where like humans. Well, that's right. That's right. It they could have actually like you want to call it a shit show. It it makes uh, sense that a fly is an omen 
uh, would be what people are talking about today. But um, I really liked well, even, that and I liked the commentary around it. Yeah, I was just going to say the speed of execution from that happening to the memes to then even, uh, you'd sent the link through before, the productization of a fly swat being on his <laughs> website and instantly selling out and it was 10 bucks. I mean, people buy them for 10 bucks. Those things will be on sale on eBay by tomorrow for probably $400, $500. I, that's right. There are, and it just had me thinking all night. I was actually up at 3.30 this morning thinking about the brilliance of you Google online, you can look at brand strategy, you can look at content strategy, you can look at MarTech and con, you know content, just how to push it out. But really, if you pay attention to culture and you can execute up with context super quick, you can't beat that. Like Pence had that, not Pence, sorry, um, Biden had that post out about the fly swatter within less than an hour. And I think there were so 200 different Twitter accounts now about the fly. Yeah, the speed of how it rolls. It's, it's uh, It probably validates the point of real-time creativity to things that matter can convert community into yeah. either customers or whatever else as well. So there's, there's a power in that, right? Um, That's right. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And so what else is bubbling away? What else is bubbling away? Oh, I think it's all just going to be politics, politics, politics yeah. for the next few weeks, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of businesses are trying to figure out how to create and to storytell in and around a context that um, we're definitely told not to tiptoe into, which is probably a good thing for a lot of businesses that aren't directly associated with politics as well. Um, but I reckon it's going to be politics, politics. And then I also have started to see a lot of um, Christmas ads for Bet. I got served my first hey. stocking stuffers ads and I'm just like, oh. Uh, it's begun. Uh, do you We're putting a tree up on Sunday. What? It's October. We're biting the bullet. We're, we're doing it. You know what? We're just calling it a year. Tree's going up. We're doing it. We're just going to celebrate it, from here until. <laughs> is it a symbol of trying just to... to happily say goodbye to the shit show that was 2020? I think it's it's multidimensional. Uh, last year, um, because I was working in retail, I was a Grinch. I was full on Grinch mode. <laughs> so my poor family deserve like a do over. So we're going to double the time this year of our Christmas festivities and listen to music and just be silly. Our living room dance parties can now be Christmas music, festive music. Oh, geez. Um, are you allowed to talk <laughs> about your book yet? I can talk a little bit about my book. It's on its, it's, a, on its way. A, a little tease. A little tease. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wrote most of the book last year, actually. Um, I thought, you know, as we read through like marketing books and um, the landscape of, of what people consider professional books. I mean, look at me considering professional anything. Um, I thought there wasn't, there wasn't anything about marketing that actually uh, didn't take itself too seriously and, and hmm. made me laugh. Um, so I started to think about some of the most interesting stories and lessons I've learned. And I started to also reflect on the questions I get asked by my clients most often. I thought, how can I package this up in a way that even people not in the marketing industry or the advertising industry would read and go, oh, shit, that's what's going on. That's what's yeah. happening. Um, so I, I wrote a book. It's called Fuck You Marketing. P.S. I Love You. It's basically a middle finger and a big bear hug to an industry I accidentally got into. Um, and I'm really excited to launch it. It's going to be probably in the next six to eight weeks. We'll let the, nice. we'll let the elections run out and, and we'll push it. Yeah. I've um, got the, one of the draft copies. I'm slowly, slowly making my 
making my way through it. And it's it, it's like a timestamp for the marketing world of of what's right and wrong and good and bad. It's like a it feels like a journal entry in the history of marketing to the moment. Is that a good yes. fair representation? <laughs> That is a very fair representation, which is why there's one empty chapter right now about the shit show of 2020 that I have yet to write because my heart isn't quite there yet. (laughs) But once that one's done, um, we'll rock and roll into it. But I mean, the stories are actually timeless, really. When you think about Mm. some of the interesting email conversations we have, the slang that um, marketers use in the industry, slanguage and Saturdays, all of that kind of stuff, you just kind of step back and it's nice to be able to giggle at yourself because mm. I'm guilty of all of the shit in that book, guilty of every single thing. Or it's the um, the classic where, uh, you know, everyone's trying to be like hip and different, but they all wear exactly the same thing because they're trying to be hip and different. And whether it's the <laughs> the roll-up pants, top knot with the flipping, you know, all that, so that same like uh, creative 101 outfit yeah Um, well look in san francisco there's the there's there's a full thing of like there's the hipster sort of code guy then there's the vc dude with the half patagonia vets with the dress shirt like it's it's a thing is one i was sitting on ponsonby road yesterday having lunch and could literally from the people walking by could tell exact i could tell you their job title probably what they're earning and most likely the clients they're working on (laughs) i was like well okay all birds black jeans tight rolled Black T-shirt, a little bit of skew. I know you're a creative director. <laughs> <laughs> you're forgetting. You get the little bit of the the, the beard with the little whites coming either through either. You know some of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember mm-hmm. it from when in, in the states in San Fran, it was all like Nikes and Lululemons. It was like Nike Freeze and Lululemons. And then I, and I was in uh, came back to New Zealand. I said, "You watch Ponsonby Road in two years. Uh-huh. It's going to be Lululemons, Nike Freeze, Lululemons mm-hmm. for five point And then it's like, what happened? Boom, boom, yep. boom, boom. <laughs> We've transitioned to all birds now. So it's just everybody's in all birds. Keeps your feet warm when it's cold, cold when it's warm. Yep. Uh, t- Tim Brown, good human, good Kiwi. Uh, he's in oh, Fave brand. Yeah, Fave yeah. brand. Um, what are you most excited for for the next, uh, over the weekend? What's bubbling? What's coming up? Over the weekend, I think I'm most excited for just a moment of rest because as much nice. as, you know, I'd like to say that politics is, the big driver right now. This week's been a big week of uh, juggling life and motherhood mm. and family. And um, my wife's just launched a huge project. And so we're all in this project mode. So nice. just to slow down and find that little rhythm. Um, appreciate your time, Cassie. I'm, I'm slowly you. making my way through. Um, 122 <laughs> pages of, of PDF so far, which so there's, there's some stuff in there. It's, sorry, it's sorry. No, it's good. No, no. Yeah. It's good. Um, All right. Be good. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Cassie. See you soon. Bye. All right. Cassie Roma. FU Marketing, PS I Love You, going to be coming out uh, before Christmas, six, eight weeks. Uh, Pretty cool show today. A lot of politics. And uh, next week, hopefully we've got another special guest, which will be joining on, which will be good as well. All right. um, And then finally, what else? Um, oh, actually, I do have one last thing I would like to talk about. I was on the phone last night with a, a friend of mine. He's a very, very smart man. And we were just talking about a few things. And he asked me a question around my hat. He said, "Where my hat, so I'll get my hat. And my hat. Uh, and he was actually asking a question of like, do, do I feel more comfortable in this? Is, uh, I guess, why I wear my hat, really? 
always wore my hat. Uh, and I, I thought I'd address the hat. So my when I came from Snowboard World, I would always wear my snowboard um, sort of hairband or goggles or helmet, and then I'd have my snowboard goggles and then my do-rag. And whenever I was about to go into a competition or drop into something or get ready to to go and whatever, I would have my goggles up, face mask on, goggles go down, and then I'd be like in the zone. I'd be zo- I'd be zoned out. I'd be keyed in with what I was going to do. And when I've transitioned to business, I've always um, always had my hat and I always had my glasses. Now I obviously can't see shit if I take my glasses off. Um, but it, I then was making the correlation of you know is my hat and my glasses similar to the way I would go um, my helmet and thing. I know it's so stupid, but so all I, all I'm doing is is basically I've taken off the shield or the the mask of vulnerability for my hat as if it was gonna lock me in, um, and just do that. I do kind of feel a bit weird without it, but I don't I don't really care. But it was a very good insight to to wondering how what happened to me as a young young buck up and coming snowboarder to get in the zone is challenging. You know, without that safety there, can I still get in the zone? I think the answer is probably yes. So probably some maybe if I don't need to wear that. Sometimes I only wear the hat, even though literally the entire time I always wear hats. Personal challenge for myself. That's all. All right, team. I hope you have a good one. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thanks. A big massive thanks to our guest, John Tamahiri, co-leader of the Māori Party, giving some good context there. Uh, Holly Bennett, Cassie Roma, uh, and then also uh, brightfire.co.nz, free business education, events, a bunch of cool stuff, and also stream through switch.stream. Enjoy the day, team. I'll see you soon. Peace.